Welcome to the practice of being seen. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. I believe that when you truly see yourself, you create a ripple effect that allows you to be the change you wish to see in the world. And that invites everyone around you to do the same. In these curated discussions, I invite you to make space to see yourself. But here's a little warning. The practice of being seen might lead to deeper intimacy, less fear, and more creative, bold action. Are you ready to deepen your practice and be seen? Welcome back to episode 41 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. Today, I'm joined by Laura Long. Laura is a licensed marriage and family therapist based out of Greenville, South Carolina. She's also the creator of YourBadassTherapyPractice.com, where she helps therapists in all stages of practice building to unleash their inner badass. Laura's edgy and off-the-cuff style is both informative and humorous, which makes her a refreshing addition to the online coaching space. Aside from her weekly emails and blog posts, Laura also has a flagship program, 60 Days to Your Badass Therapy Practice, which she launched in January 2017 and has just graduated its third cohort of therapists. In her free time, Laura chases after her toddler and enjoys tackling creative home projects with her husband. I'm really excited to share this episode with all of you. I had such a good time getting to know Laura on this podcast, and I have a feeling that this is the beginning of a really fun friendship. So without further ado, here's the show. So welcome back to the Pobscast. I'm sitting here today with my new friend, Laura Long. Laura, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Of course, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you you are the vision behind your badass therapy practice. <laughs> I'm the lead badass, Rebecca. You are. I know. <laughs> I know. And I want to know more about this. Like, can you take us in, dive deep with us, and let us know, like, how did this come to be? How did your badass therapy practice come to be, both as a name and as something that you embody, like, that is just how you show up in the world? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that is a beautiful question. (laughs) Okay, so I think like most coaches, uh, it was a pretty easy transition because I was already helping other people, but it never considered it as a thing. Like it was never this um, option on my radar. Private practice was always the dream and I was doing that. So it was, it was strange and new to have anyone approach me about doing it in a larger space. So for example, doing it online, that had never occurred to me before. I was just helping my friends locally who were starting their own practice practices. So it didn't, just didn't occur to me. And then when I started doing some research and seeing, oh, wow, there are people doing this, you know, I learned about kind of the, the pioneers, um, the Casey Truffauts, uh, the, the Lynn Grodskys. And I was like, I am not them. Like I, uh, I mean, they are wonderful. I do consider them pioneers. I didn't, there was a lot of imposter syndrome, of course. Like, Oh yeah. Who does it? Right. Um, yeah. When you're in that, in that beginning, like I was a baby in my own mind. Like, How can I, how can I help anyone if these women are already doing it? 
um, and they do it well, why would I, why would I jump in? Like what makes me any what do, different? What do I have to add to the equation? Yeah. Um, and again, this was over a year ago for me. So it took a lot of reflection and I was like, what does make me different? And then this beautiful thing happened. I was having a conversation with my husband and we were talking about if I were to do this coaching online, what that would look like, what that would look like for our family, the time it would take away from my family, if that's something that I would be willing to even do. And I realized, and I said this out loud to him, I said, if if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to take this on in any meaningful capacity, it's going to have to be fun. That's the only way that this is going to work is if it's super fun for me and if I get to just be 100% myself. And that wasn't like looking back, that was the single best decision I could have made. But in the moment, it was really just a matter of logistics. I'm not going to do it if it's not fun and I'm not going to do it if I have to present as this uber professional, calm, mild mannered woman, because that's just not who I am at all. Um, then I started learning it's about a core a, value. It's like yeah. it's, it's a guiding principle that it has to be fun. But when you are first starting out something new, like what I was doing, venturing into this world of doing things online, uh, aside from Skype and checking my email and hopping on social media, this was a new space for me. Having an email list, starting a, a website like I have, like all of this was so new. And so I was like, I'm just going to be 100% myself. And there are going to be people who are really turned off by that. And that's okay. They're just not my people. (laughs) So that was before the words, your badass therapy practice came to be. That was just my own idea or how I conceptualize doing this thing online. It's just, it's going to have to be fun. I'm just going to have to be myself because when I have my therapist hat on, of course, there's a level of authenticity there, but you know, as much as I do, we're not 100% authentic in the therapy room. That actually wouldn't be very therapeutic at all. Um, We have, we have to have guiding principles that are based in evidence and um, we have to be, we have to be professional. (laughs) We can't just like, say it exactly how we mean it all the time. So anyway, when I decided to do this, I thought, you know, this is going to be my fun outlet. And then I started having to think about, well, what is it that I want? And of course I came up with all the most common names, you know, I'm going to be, um, the words startup came to my mind and I know of the private practice startup already. So I was like, that's not going to work. Uh, I thought of, I, I should have, pulled up all the different names that I had come up with, but I had like a list of 10 different business names and none of them seemed authentic at all to me. It was all just like your, your smart practice or, you know, it was something that just didn't resonate for me until embody your personality. No, not at all. And I honestly don't remember when the, when your badass therapy practice came into my mind, but I do remember saying it out loud to a few people. And I got one of two responses. One was, you can't do that. That's not professional. No one's going to take you seriously. And the second response was, holy shit, that's genius. And so I went with that. And I guess the rest is history, but that, that embodied my personality. I want therapists to be a badass, whatever that looks like to them. I don't want them to be held back by fear of the unknown I work with a lot of type A's like myself. So we want to have a plan. We want to have a blueprint. We want to know the exact steps to take that will ensure our success. And that doesn't exist. So um, being a badass means that you're jumping headfirst into that arena, not knowing all of the answers yet. Mm, 
I see, and I love this because for me, so much of the practice of being seen and so much of the conversations that I've been having with multiple guests this season have been around living in that in-between space, living in the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we venture into it without doing any research. You know, it's not like the other side of the pendulum where we just jump into a business venture, take out a crazy loan and just see what happens. That's not at all what what I'm talking about, but we don't have to have the answer to everything. And in fact, a lot of answers we won't get until we start doing it. Right. The research comes out of the doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have totally found that. And I've noticed that as I have built my own career, over the years, over the last decade or so, um, that I've pivoted a lot. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been just one thing that I do or one thing that I'm good at. I start with something and then that takes me in another direction and that takes me in another direction and that takes me in another. And the pivots keep refining and making things better and bolder and more. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I was thinking about this the other day that even, even though I started this under the assumption that I would be 100% authentic. This is going to be something that's fun. I'm going to be me all the time. I still held back in the very beginning. No one knew who I was. So if I, if I ventured into the space immediately just dropping F-bombs, <laughs> people probably wouldn't take me so seriously. So I do remember when I took the very first cohort of students through my 60-day course, for the first two or three weeks, I remember being a little bit more subdued. Not completely, but I remember being a little afraid of what they might think if I just kind of spouted off my opinion on a topic, knowing that it was against what other people may have said. I'm thinking in terms of some marketing strategies that I may suggest. I was thinking, you know, if, if I just say it like it is, how I feel like it is at least, they will run. But I took a chance anyway and I did it. And they loved it. They're like, wow, you're saying something different. You're not saying the same old, same old, whatever just works for you. Um, you have an opinion. So I feel like my own tribe, if that's what you want to call them, that's what I call them, but my own tribe has helped helped me jump into and accept my identity even more than I had when I first started because there was still some holding back before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is this is a radical shift. Like it's it's this radical idea that the more yourself you are, the more the people who want what you have to offer will find you and resonate with that. Mm-hmm. They will want that because you are being different. You're being, uh, in the words of Seth Godin, you're a heretic. Mm, I so, love it. Um, you know, if, if I were to become a coach just to do what everyone else is doing and to keep the status quo, that wouldn't make me different at all. Mm-hmm. So, so it's important that we're all being ourselves and being okay with that because the people who are meant to hear our message will love it. They'll you know, be so happy about it. You know, and those who don't who don't respond well to it, they'll find someone who is closer to what resonates for them. And this is bringing me to like a really delicious part of this conversation, I think. Mm. Because I've been diving into these conversations around imposter syndrome a lot lately about feeling like a fraud. And I think this is starting to take us there because the more you are yourself, the less you're a fraud. The more you are who you just naturally are, the more you're your authentic, vulnerable self, Mm -hmm. the less you're trying to be somebody that you're not. And I think that's the place where we get into trouble when we're trying really hard to fit into somebody else's molds, somebody else's boxes, do things somebody else's way, and we're not being authentic to who we are. That's when we feel like a fraud. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that statement. 
<laughs> well, so how about this? Where have you felt like a fraud? Where has that shown up for you? Because I know it shows up for me almost daily. And when it does, it's typically because I haven't fully embraced something yet that I meant to. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is that whenever the topic of imposter syndrome or feeling like a fraud comes up for anyone who's considered an expert, people look at them and go, you have it too? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we all do. That's, that's the thing. Even so those of you who are listening, who feel like you're at the very beginning, when you finally get to whatever that beautiful place is that you're wanting to get to, don't think for a minute that this feeling will just go away forever. It comes and goes in waves, no matter where you are. In some cases, it even gets bigger, the bigger the leap that you're about to take. Mm -hmm, the bigger the risk. So, oh, I can give you a great example. We were almost talking about it a little bit before we started this, this conversation yeah. um, around this beta program that I'm wanting to start about creating an e-course. I think I'm having a little bit of an imposter syndrome or feelings of, I, I don't know if I would go so extreme as to say fraud, but maybe that's my own like maybe it is that word, you know, but I'm like resistant to acknowledging the word. Does that make sense? Yeah. So maybe it's fraud or maybe I'm just thinking. That or it's maybe, maybe it's protective that you're not really willing to use that word because, yeah. it's, you know, you're on growth. Right. So, um, you know, the little voice will say, well, you've only created one course. I mean, granted, I've had cohorts go through it, but you've only created one course. You've only been in, in existence for a little over a year. Um, the other course is, is like a free opt-in. So that doesn't even count. That's what the voice is saying, right? Um, so who are you to teach therapists how to create an e-course when you've only been doing this for this amount of time or you've only done it the, this one time? Oh, can so, we all relate to that? Like that self-shaming voice that yeah. who, are, who are you to do whatever it is? I call her bitchy Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not even Laura. She's Brenda. <laughs> no, no. Laura's too much of a badass to acknowledge those things. Like that's, Laura knows those things aren't true, but bitchy Brenda knows how to get in there. Yeah. Like she knows, she knows the soft middle and she just goes right for it. Oh. Daggers, you know? So yeah. bitchy Brenda will say those things. Uh, and when I'm having a really good day, I look at her and I go, Hey, go back into your box where you belong. <laughs> Um, and on a particularly tough day or, you know, a certain part of the month, I will, you know, sit down and have a cup of coffee with her and cry. And she'll tell me um, that I don't need to be doing that. That's too risky. And, you know, people are going to find out that you don't know what you're talking about. Mm. So, luckily, she doesn't hang around too long. Yeah. And, you know, luckily, a lot of people actually find out that you do know what you're talking about. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That helps when I get the email from someone that says, oh my gosh, this one email you sent did this for me, or this is how you've helped me, or your course has been so helpful. You know, when I get that external validation, that definitely can help uh, acts as an antidote, if you will. Yeah. I mean, as we're talking right now behind my laptop screen, I have this huge memo board. I wish you could see it. And I have all of the thank you cards that I've received over the last year from students, you know, people who will go through my course, or maybe we did a coaching call or something like that. And they'll actually think to send me something. And maybe they just think that I read the card and toss it, but I have this memo board and, you know, there's not hundreds of cards on it, but when bitchy Brenda pipes up, I'll, I'll open one of those cards. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I have made a difference. I have helped. I yeah, can do this. Beautiful. So maybe having some sort of visual reminders of what makes us badasses would be helpful. 
I recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, I, I'm just coming back from a Terry Real Practicum. And one of the things I love about working in this model with the relational life therapy is that he really kind of calls in the who we are parts of being a therapist into the room. And mm-hmm. he talks about things like shame and grandiosity and how we have to bring people up from shame and down from grandiosity. Mm-hmm. And I think Bitchy Brenda helps you do that in some ways. Absolutely. Yeah. The grandiosity part, I'm glad you brought that up because at times that can, you know, I'll jokingly refer to myself as a narcissist just for fun, because I understand when I do things like, um, when I first did my very first Facebook Live, I think out loud, I was like, I feel like Facebook Live is for narcissists. I said that out loud almost as a way to like protect myself or to um, make myself realize that uh, when, you, when you are in front of people for any meaningful amount of time, it can make you feel like you're bigger than you are. Yes. Uh, too big for your britches, if you will. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Bitchy Brenda serves a very good purpose because she reminds me that I'm not, I'm not as great as sometimes I might think, um, which can be helpful as long as I know when she's really bringing me down that she's not always right. And I think that's the other piece is that you get to compartmentalize some of those more shameful thoughts and say like, no, you go away. Like, I, I, I don't want to listen to you right now. That's mm-hmm. not so valuable to me. It's not helpful. But I do think there's a time and place for it. You know, there, yeah. we, we don't need to just be like, we're so amazing all the time and I'm a complete badass 110% and I just, you know, I shit sprinkles. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not really going to help get us to the next place. That will no. most likely keep us stuck. But the therapists I work with are usually not there yet. They, they mm. are, they're living with Bitchy Brenda as their roommate. Yes. So. So they need someone in their corner who's saying, no, you already are a badass. I just need to help you unleash it. Yeah. So how do you help them unleash it? What do you do? How do you give them a, you know? The pep talk? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we need to look at evidence first. So most of the time when we have any fear, whether it's imposter syndrome, being a fraud, or we're not good enough, we're not going to make it, we're going to fail, I, I have them look at the evidence. So how many huge risks have you taken in your life? where you have just failed so miserably that you weren't ever able to get back up or recover. (sighs) And almost always there's, we can't find that time. Um, And even if we could, I just sent this email out to my list a week ago about failure. You know, failure is not related to our sense of self-worth. Failure is just information. That's all it really is. So I think the first step when I'm working with someone, if they're, if they're feeling like bitchy Brenda is just like hanging out next to them, you know, we'll look at the evidence. So when are times where you've taken a risk? When has it worked for you? When has it not? Um, When have you done something that scared you? And how did that end up? And most of the time we're able to, to point to very specific situations, not only in our business, but in our lives where we've taken these risks and it turns out that they were beautiful and thank God we took them or I failed at this one thing and then I learned how to do this other thing. And now I'm glad that that happened. Not that we're glorifying failure per se, but we're understanding that it serves a time. There's a place for it as well. Um, So I think that's probably the first step is let's look at the evidence really on a more logical scale. Let's, let's put away the feels for a second. (laughs) Uh, Let's acknowledge that that's there, but let's look at what's, what's real. What's your reality. And you'll find that it's usually different from what the fear is. Oh, I love that. It's so valuable. And I find that 
For me, I often need to have those conversations out loud. I can't have them just by myself in my own head. Mm -hmm. I need to have certain people around them. My husband is a really good person and I have a few other colleagues and friends that I can have those conversations with. Do you also have people in your life who you can have those conversations with? Because I know you're that container for Mm -hmm. a lot of the therapists you work with, but who are the people like that for you? Yeah, no, definitely my husband. I talk to my mom a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, my mom is interesting because she... She's such an intelligent woman. She's such a hard worker. Um, but I would not say that she's emotionally intelligent. So oftentimes if I'm talking to her about feelings of fear, for example, she may respond with just a, a physical act that I can do. Like, mom, I'm really af- afraid of this thing. And rather than holding space, just because that's not a skill set that she has, she'll say, well, why don't you just do this other thing? And you know, then you'll feel better. And she doesn't understand that. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you just have to sit with it. Um, so my husband is a really good person for that. He's really good at holding space and helping me find some solutions inside Uh, my therapist, of course. Um, I have some therapist friends. I find that most of my friends are therapists. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny like that. (laughs) They get the struggle. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do have, I do have friends who are, who are not, but if, you know, as you're asking this question, who would I jump to? And I am immediately thinking of like my top five people are all therapists. (laughs) It's such an interesting field we found ourselves in because I don't know too many accountants, for example, who when asked that question would say, oh yeah, these five people who all just so happen to also be accountants. (laughs) Right. I think most of us get into this field because in many ways we're wounded healers and we attract like, you know, we attract people who have also been wounded and are interested in that repair process and who mm-hmm. are, who do develop that emotional intelligence in terms right. of how to, how to work with other people and how to hold space. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just to, to have that level of introspection and to not run away when someone has a feeling that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I go to one of my therapist friends, I know that I can cry I know that I can say whatever is completely untrue about myself, whatever bitchy Brenda has told me. And I know they're not going to just sit there and feel very uncomfortable with the fact that I'm having an emotional experience. They'll sit there with me. Um, So yeah, going back to the evidence, I have a, a really awesome example of how this played out, not even in my business, but in graduate school. I went to a program where I had to write a thesis, which had I known what a thesis actually would entail. I may, have, I may have had second thoughts about the program I chose, but needless to say, I chose one where I had to write this damn thing. And I remember being towards the end of my program, but still hadn't yet really started it. So I probably had six months left of my entire program, still hadn't written the thing, still hadn't analyzed the data. And I was freaking out because that is, that's not my personality, but I was avoiding it like the plague. And I was talking to someone in my cohort about it. And we were processing, why haven't I even started it? And what came out for me was I was so afraid that I would work so hard on writing it and then I would get to defend it and the professors would tell me that it wasn't good enough and that I'd fail and then I wouldn't get to finish the program and then I wouldn't be able to be a therapist, right? So we went down in this deep, dark hole of mine, uh, which was keeping me from actually starting it. And I so vividly remember where we were having this conversation. And she looks at me and she goes, Laura, have you ever really failed at anything? And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I failed at tons of things. She goes, really? Okay, think, think back and pick one huge thing that you worked your ass off 
day and night and still failed at miserably. And I was like, well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Anything that I've absolutely 100% put my mind to doing, I've, I've done it. Now it may have looked differently than I thought it would at the beginning, but I did it. And I, and so in that moment, I wasn't able to come up with anything where I had really put myself out there and thrown everything about myself and my, all of my energy and focus into yet had still failed. Hmm. Um, and I could probably find some reframes even if I had, <laughs> but I think that that conversation, I don't think I've even told this person how much that meant to me, but ultimately that is the driving force behind what led me to to not only start my thesis that weekend, but I finished on time and I was the only person in my cohort to actually finish on time. (laughs) Because you're a badass. I guess so. Yeah. Um, So, you know, it sounds to me like that whole experience also has been very impactful in imprinting in, in your life. And it also feels like it's part of what's behind your badass therapy practice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because again, going back to the whole idea of failure, I, I do try to see failure as information. So when something doesn't work out, I don't put a flowery lid on it and say, oh, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. I look at it and go, okay, well, what failed about it? Because it doesn't mean that I myself am a failure. It's not connected to my own sense of self-worth or identity. It means that I tried something and the thing I tried failed. It has nothing to do with me and my value. So let's look at it. What failed? Why might it have failed? And when you start opening it up and taking a look at it, you might start to notice, because I know I've had this experience in my own life and in my own business. So I'm talking personally maybe here instead of so much asking a question. But I've noticed that elements may have failed. The big takeoff of it may have failed, but there may have been a lot of little gems in there that I can repurpose and pivot and use in different ways. Yep. And then it's not a failure anymore, is it? That's the beauty. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's, that's how you start to, to mine for, for where the gems are. Mm-hmm. And so if I had said, well, I'm so afraid of failing with this, with this whole thesis thing, so I'm just not going to do it. Well, then what would have happened? Right. It's like, I think one of the biggest reframes is what if you change the language? Would you also say, I'm afraid of learning? Mm. Yeah, because I did learn a lot. Yeah. <laughs> As I know I have, each time I, I like mine for those gems, each time I go back and I look at something, that's where my learning happens. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So can we talk about failure and being a mom? Because I think the two probably are the same thing. <laughs> so that's where I'm the biggest failure in my life. <laughs> that's, I mean, like, and I'm, I don't mean that I'm a failure as a mom. I mean, that's where that voice gets the loudest for me. Yeah, bitchy Brenda is, um, she's like hiding behind your kids. Did you ever watch that, that horrible movie from, maybe it was the early 90s called Drop Dead Fred? Did you ever watch that movie? It's okay if you didn't. It I wasn't. I don't know if I did. I remember the title. I don't remember the movie. <laughs> don't watch it. it it's okay. not worth it. Anyone watching, don't. It was, it was one of those movies where I remember it so, so fondly. And then I found it as an adult and rewatched it with all these positive memories. And I'm watching the movie going, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. It like ruined it for me. Right, right. Um, but basically, it's just this girl who has um, an imaginary friend growing up. His name is Fred. And he gets her into all kinds of fun little trouble as a child. And then as an adult, she visits her childhood home. And I think she opens a box or something. And all of a sudden, Drop Dead Fred pops out. So 
the rest of the movie is her being an adult trying to get rid of him (laughs) and he hasn't changed a bit. So he keeps trying to get her into all this trouble. The premise of the movie actually sounds pretty good now that I'm saying it, but it's a horrible movie. Don't watch it guys. Um, But sometimes I feel like bitchy Brenda with our children is drop dead Fred. It's like this, this little thing that like hangs out in a box and then, you know, we open it up and as we're playing with our children, we check our phone and all of a sudden there's bitchy Brenda. Hey, look, you're checking your phone again. You're not being present and engaged with your, with your child. Like everyone else is, you know, like everyone else's, like everyone else's. Yeah. Everyone, everyone else is probably checking their phone too. As they're posting pictures of their happy kid and you're like, well, yeah. they had to do that with their phone. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think we live in an overconnected world right now, and I think it makes it a lot harder to be a parent, especially a parent who's running an online business. Mm-hmm. An online business and is also a private practitioner, which I believe we both are, my friend. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. You know, we haven't talked much about your private practice, and mm-hmm. I'm curious how that impacts motherhood also. It All the made, pieces. Yes. Um, the first thing it did was it really... Uh, not in dollars, but it made me value my time so much more. Mm. So before having a child, I could have five, six, seven clients in a day. They can be a little sporadic. Maybe I would have an hour break here, two hours here. I'd go to the bank. You know, I had so much time to do whatever in between clients. And then once I returned from maternity leave, I was paying a nanny per hour. So I wasn't going to take an eight, 10 hour day and randomly run errands. So I remember I would pay the nanny from like 12 to six and I'd have sessions at one, two, three, four, and then, you know, run home. Um, but there, there was no time. I, I, I remember just being so, I was flustered and stressed about it, but my time now has so much more value than it ever did before. How old are your children now? I have one and she is, uh, she'll be two right around New Year's. So that's going to be a fun 21st birthday for her. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, so right now she's um, a little older than a year and a half. She's a few few months shy of being two. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a balancing act. I know for me, I feel like it's every season that I'm redoing my schedule because I have to modify according to their schedules because I don't just get to be a therapist. I don't just get to be an online business person or a podcaster. I also am a mom and I have to hold the space of what that means. I have to hold my family together in some ways. And sometimes I feel like I need to compartmentalize all of those parts. So sometimes I'll say, you know, well, I'm, I'm a therapist today. Like Um, So for example, I know today I I have some clients in the afternoon. So it's like when I'm at the office, I have my therapist hat on. And then when I'm home in the evening or in the mornings when I'm doing stuff for your badass therapy practice, it's like I've got my online coach hat on. And then when I'm home with my daughter, Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's like I've got my mom hat on. So sometimes that works really well being able to compartmentalize sometimes. I want to redefine this a little bit because when I hear you say compartmentalize, I'm also hearing you say that you really boundary your time and you schedule things. Mm -hmm. So the compartmentalizing happens not so much in how you think about it, but in how you plan the time. Yes. 
Okay. I hadn't thought of it that way though. <laughs> that's a beautiful way of, that's a nice reframe. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I do. I, as best as I can, I'll, I will not say that I'm perfect in that. You know, like I was saying before, there are the days I'm home with her, sometimes I'm checking my phone. So um, I don't always do a great job boundarying my time. Uh, that, that's a verb, right? <laughs> it is now. Now it is. Yeah. So, uh, but yes. And then also mentally, that's something that I do. It's like a mindset shift. And sometimes, like I said, that does work really well. And sometimes it doesn't because sometimes I need to be able to have two hats on at once. Like yeah. some, and, and I think women are so good at that though. Well, sometimes, sometimes we do it too much and you know, it's, it's a little extreme, but I think we're much better at that than men are sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's by necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know I, I was just a few weeks ago, I was um, working with my new uh, designer and we were creating new artwork and kind of putting the finishing touches on it while my kids were dancing around our feet and, you know, playing on his other laptop and kind of designing their own stuff and being a part of that design process because it's really impossible to do some, to do all of the work without them present, that they, they are embodied in everything that I do. I know that's, that's why I do the work I do. It's because of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I can take this in so many different directions too, because I know even saying, you know, I compartmentalize these different hats. I can put a positive reframe on that. And then I can also look at some of the negatives of doing it that way. So, you know, I feel like when, when we wear several hats at the same time, you know, I have this, um, this quote that I often will say with my students, you know, whole ass, um, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. <laughs> so, oh uh, yeah, um, absolutely. So, when I'm wearing more than one hat at once, one might argue that I'm essentially half-assing two things if I'm wearing both hats. And I think that sometimes, as a mom in private practice, we feel like we are because of the very nature of having to wear multiple hats. Sometimes we do feel like we're failing at all of it. Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed, a side effect of being um, a therapist in private practice is that sometimes to our own deficit, we know too much about human behavior and development. And, <laughs> and we judge ourselves really, really harshly when we're raising kids because we see the other side of it. We see the effect of what can need to be healed later. Mm-hmm. And so we keep looking at ourselves going, am I making that mistake? Am I doing that wrong? Did I do that right? Am I enough of this? Am I not enough of that? Mm-hmm. And all of those messages get so much bigger. Right. Like what, if I make this decision right now or I just yelled at my kid or I just, I just did this shaming behavior towards my child, what might that mean for long-term outcomes? Because I remember reading this study. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Uh, I remember every single moment of my daughter's life for the first year. Yeah. I was constantly thinking about our attachment bond. <laughs> even, even, this is funny actually, even when I was pregnant, overall I had a pretty easy pregnancy, which is, you know, my, my three month pregnant self would, would tell me that's not true because I did feel quite ill for the first uh, trimester, but Overall, I, I had a very good pregnancy and I remember sitting in session with my clients and I would have like one hand on the armrest and one hand on my stomach 
And as they're talking, I'm listening to them, but I'm reminding myself about maternal heart rate and the, the correlation between maternal heart rate and um, childhood depression. And so I'm sitting there doing these like slow, long diaphragmatic breaths as I'm sitting with a client, like just like channeling and manifesting all of this positive energy to my fetus, <laughs> like just thinking about that. I, uh, I was like, I'm, I'm going to have the most chill kid, but it didn't happen, <laughs> didn't happen at all. <laughs> I remember when I was pregnant and I was with my first and I was working at a group practice and I was working with a psychiatrist at the practice on a really complicated case. And she was, she turned to me and she's like, this isn't good for you to be working on. Your child is, is like internalizing it. <laughs> well, and maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe they're internalizing my compassion and my empathy. Like that wouldn't be a bad thing. That's also, yeah, that's a good yeah. thing. You know, I was at um, the relational life training this, this past weekend and I turned to one of my colleagues there and I said, I'm listening to this training with three hats on. <laughs> I'm listening to it as a therapist, mm -hmm. right? I'm taking it all in as, you know, as a couples therapist, as a therapist, I'm taking it in as a person who has their own repair and healing to do in their own life. And I'm taking it as a parent who I'm sure is fucking up my own kids. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh man. And I'm about to head into the um, AAMFT conference in Atlanta next weekend. Yeah. And I know that that's exactly what I'll be doing. And this is my first, this will be my first conference uh, where I'm attending and am a mother. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I think it's impossible. Like, so we talk about kind of whole assly, whole assed. Is that whole, whole assingly? whole assingly, whole assingly doing one thing at a time. But I don't know if we actually can because we're always wearing all of those hats. Like the, the being one thing is being integrated in all of those things. It's maybe just one thing is louder than the others. Mm -hmm. So when I'm sitting with a client, like I obviously still have my mother hat on and maybe I'm like wondering if my phone's going to start buzzing from her daycare or something like that. <laughs> but the therapist hat is much bigger. It's like the Abraham Lincoln hat. Yeah. You know? Whereas like my mom had in that moment is more of like a little beanie. <laughs> that can fit underneath the Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, it's underneath. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting because I, school just recently started here and um, like the fourth day of school this year, I got a phone call in the middle of a session um, that my, one of my daughters had fallen at school and gotten hurt. Um, so it's like one of those moments where, you know, how do you balance everything? And I did what I did and later I had some second thoughts about it and she's fine and everything worked out okay. But, but there's certainly those like, oh man, what could I have done differently? Did I do enough? Like mm -hmm. all of those moments on all sides. And I know that I'm not alone in that. I know that many of us who are parents and therapists kind of have to balance that stuff because we're not so easily accessible when we're in session. Mm -hmm. Well, and other mothers who are also entrepreneurs will have similar struggles than us. I just think, and maybe it's because uh, I'm a little biased, but it's, it's the nature of what we're doing. You yes. know, when I'm sitting with a couple, I have to be 100% engaged in what is happening in the room. If I start daydreaming, even for a moment, I'm going to lose them or lose the connection in that moment. Whereas if I owned my own fabric store, <laughs> there's still challenges there. But if I need to step away from it, I can. If I need to step out of a meeting, I could. Yeah. But I think being, being a therapist definitely has some additional challenges with it as far as being present and engaged 
uh, and not really having that ability to say, you know what, I'm just going to step out and go hang out in the bathroom and cry for a few minutes and then I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I think that's, this is a good point and maybe this takes us in this direction. We have to not only be boundaried about the time when we're in it, but we also have to be pretty boundaried and cognizant of how we give ourselves that time to step into the bathroom and cry because mm-hmm. we still need to do those things. We just don't get to do them, you know, we, we have to know and plan kind of for when we're doing them. Yeah, we can't, we can't do it when we um, necessarily want to, but they do have to still happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. So you had written a blog post a while back. Mm-hmm. You want to take oh. us there? Oh, that blog post. <laughs> <laughs> Some days I regret the blog post. No, do I'm, you? No, not okay. at all. Not at okay. all. Um, well, I just remember writing these, these blog posts about, um, more, more technical, you know, do this, not that as far as building a practice. And I was like, you know, everyone's seeing this, not everyone always wants information. No one always needs to know, okay, this is how you do this thing. And like, this is, this is how you set up a website. I was like, you know, people don't, don't know a whole lot about, about me. Um, there's not there's not a whole lot of like emotion behind the way that I coach people. Um, I mean, yes, there is, but just not in the sense of me like coming and let's, let's bear our souls to one another. And so I remember having, uh, until today, until today when I ended (laughs) up on the practice of being seen podcast and everyone (laughs) will know about my soft middle. (laughs) Um, so I think I had had like a particularly rough week with my daughter. Um, and I think at the same time I had been lurking around one of the Facebook groups for mothers who are therapists. And there was like a thread that started that kind of tapped into what I was feeling. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write about it because guess what? Going back to what I had said in the beginning of this podcast I decided if I'm going to do this thing, it's going to be exactly how I want it to be. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be myself, which means that I get to make the rules. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write a blog post about this. And, you know, of course, bitchy Brenda is like, well, no, you can't do that because you write all these posts that are more technical and how to survive the summer blues and all these other things. Like you can't, you can't write an emotional blog post. And then I was like, oh, wait, yes, I can because I make my own rules. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's what I told her. And that's, I think, if we were to define what a badass is, I think it's that. I think it's that you make your own rules. Yeah. I go against the status quo because the status quo would have said, no, you know, that's for a personal private blog. That's not for your uh, your badass therapy practice blog. And I was like, nope, nope, we're not going to go with that. So uh, I remember it took me like four hours one night to, to type this thing up and I'm like crying while I'm typing it and I'm reading certain parts of it aloud to my husband and asking him if that was good enough or not good, but like deep enough. Cause I really wanted to like, I wanted to write something where if a mother in private practice read it, she would go, Holy shit. Like this person gets like, this is exactly what my experience is. Not for every single mother, but I wanted the ones who would read it and it did resonate with them. I wanted to really go there. Yeah. So, um, I remember like writing certain parts of it and then going back and reading it and saying, that's still too safe. Um, I wish I had it pulled up, but there were certain parts where I would like write it and be like, uh, 
yeah, that's true. But is it deep enough? Like, does it really get to the heart of it? And then I'd be like, okay, how do I get deeper? Oh, wait, I have to look at myself. Okay. So, um, there was some line about, I think crying in the bathroom, maybe, you know, because you feel like you're not doing any of it. Well, I think that was the line where I was like, yep. Okay. That hit something. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I got the idea to write it just because I I'd had a particularly rough week with my daughter wearing all the many hats not really feeling like I was doing it well. And then on top of that, I think the catalyst was seeing a certain thread that maybe articulated that, that mm -hmm. feeling. Um, and so it was kind of just written as an open letter to mothers in private practice and just saying, I get it. This sucks. This time of our life is so challenging and here are all the reasons why. Uh, and then, you know, at the end, I wanted to talk about what are some of the beautiful parts like there will never be a time in your life when you're needed as much as when you're a mom. Oh, that's so true. Never. At least a mom to young children. I mean, your 21-year-old might still need you, but they're going to be more interested in your wallet. <laughs> um, mom, bail me out of jail. No, I'm just kidding. But um, hopefully, <laughs> or hopefully not. Hopefully not, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so being, being a therapist in private practice and being a mom – I wanted other other women, particularly those with young children who are trying to do this thing and questioning themselves and wondering, like, was now really a good time? Should I have just stayed at my soul-sucking agency job a little bit longer? Like, I wanted to give them – I wanted them to know that they're still badass. You know, like, you, you – it's in there. That's why you did this is because you're a badass, not because you're an idiot. <laughs> so find that piece of you that's like, oh, I can do this, even if I'm having to – see clients all day, come home, put my children to bed. And then my day actually begins because now I get to write all my case notes until midnight and then wake up at six and do it all again. Like that's, that's what we're doing right now. But I wanted, I wanted to give women who are reading it strength. Yeah. So, um, so that was a very emotional blog post for me and I'm glad I, I wrote it and I'm glad I posted it. I know there's that concept that like you shouldn't put something out into the world until you've healed from it. But I was like, if I wait until then, um, I'm going to be 70. <laughs> so what happened when you put it out into the world? Um, you know, honestly, it, it, not a lot happened at first. And I, it could have just been because I didn't have a very large following at the time. So I posted it in a few places and um, not a whole lot happened. It was months later. It was like maybe three or four months later, someone happened across it and then posted it in one of these Facebook groups and was like, guys, have you seen this? <laughs> and I think it was just the timing, you know, that's, you know, when things go viral, I think it has to do with the timing of when, when it's released out into the world and then when other people find it. So I had actually released it months before I thought that it would generate a pretty good response. And it, it did. I mean, there were some people who commented and thanked me for posting that, but overall I was like, huh, well, all right. Well, I guess not too many people have that experience until it was, shared. I'm going to pause you here because I think there, there's a few interesting stages that I'm hearing that you went through. And one is that you gave yourself permission to go there and to write it. Mm -hmm. You know, you bounced it around with your husband, but you, you put that stuff out and you gave yourself permission to kind of play with it and to, to write it and go back and look at it and think, is this the message I want to be sharing? Is this deep enough? Like you, you processed that. You didn't just mm -hmm. write it and publish a first draft. There was, no, there was a process involved. Yes, there was. There definitely and, was. And then after that, you, you hit publish and you shared it. And 
you, the words you just used as you were talking was I released it. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking like you, there's really an essence of, okay, that story is out there now. It's not a story you have to hold. So regardless of how it's being picked up by everybody else, it's now released from you. You're a damn good therapist, Rebecca. Can I see you? (laughs) Do you have openings? Um, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Not for this. I mean, well, we can talk, but. (laughs) Yes, yes, you're right. Once I released it out into the world, I did release it for me. Yeah. And then it's kind of like the beautiful synchronicity of the universe, right? That it didn't really get picked up right away. And it gave you time to kind of move into another part of your life, to move in another direction, to, for things to shift for you mm-hmm. after that release. And then it gets picked up and it goes kind of viral. Yeah. And it got picked up at a time when, like you were just mm-hmm. saying, I was no longer as emotionally attached to it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it was probably a good thing because maybe perhaps if it did get picked up once I had published it and the Damn, that would have been vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the beauty of, like, the time. Mm-hmm. So I was able to act more as, as that support, you know, when people would email me and say, oh, my God, this, is, this, is, this hit home for me, and this is how it hit home, and this is how it's showing up for me. How do you deal with this? And so I was able to have some really amazing conversations with people who emailed me after that. That was great. I'm going to have to write more of those emotional ones. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm curious though, because I'm, I'm guessing that people who work with you, um, whether they're your clients or they're, you know, consulting clients or people in your groups, that they get a piece of this, like this side of you shows up in terms of how you become an advisor or a mentor or. I'd be really interested to ask them. I wonder. So I have, um, I try to form a very close relationship with everyone I work with, even the, you know, the ones who take my course, I'm involved every single day I'm in there and I'm, I don't take a, a standoff approach. So I'm interested to know because there are some students who have been with me since the very beginning. So they've seen me evolve. So if you're one of Laura's students and you have been in her courses, this is a great invitation to give her some feedback. Yeah. How do I show up? What does this look like as we form our relationship together? Um, yeah, I have, I have one student in particular who, it's funny, it's like our, our relationship, uh, it, it changes daily almost. It's like some days... I am definitely more of a mentor to her and that's how our relationship began. And then there, there are other days where I'm coming to her and I feel like I'm a mess. (laughs) She's having to almost coach me. Um, and I really appreciate it. So that's more of a friendship at this point, but I've, I've really, that's, you know what, Rebecca, that's actually something I'm glad that I started on that little rabbit hole. Something that I would have never anticipated when I first started your badass therapy practice, I never thought that I was going to form the kinds of relationships that I have. Mm, Tell me more about that. So in my mind at the very beginning, now again, I I didn't have any followers. I didn't have an email list. So it was just me, myself, and I writing a blog. And the idea was to write um, this blog and I wanted to create e-courses. I wanted to do coaching. So that was all a dream, but it wasn't there yet. 
And so when we start on a, a venture like this and we have the dream in our mind of what it's going to look like, there are so many parts of it that we don't anticipate. We just think about, okay, well, this is what my schedule will look like. You know, I'll see coaching clients these days or I'll work on course creation these days. We think very logistically about this dream scenario. Um, and of course, there's a financial component. It's like, okay, so I'll work these days and I'll do this, that, and the other thing and I'll make this amount of money and I'll be able to help people in this way. But we don't really think about it in a three-dimensional way. So in terms of how it's going to impact us? Yes, how it, what it's gonna, how it's gonna change us. <laughs> that, that was never part of the equation when I first started. It's, it was. Um, it's not. You're not able to have that be part of the equation because that's the unknown, messy part. That's the middle. Mm-hmm. That is that's the middle the stuff you don't know. The messy middle. Yeah. So we think these are the ways in which I'm going to impact other people's lives, but we often forget. Yeah, the other way around. How those people are going to impact us. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. I can totally relate to that with you. So my uh, very first cohort, I worked so hard and I still work extremely hard, but at the time, not only was I having to make sure that they learned the material, but I had to make sure that they knew I was in their corner. Whereas now, like every subsequent cohort who has gone through the course, they know me well enough from being on my email list or corresponding with me in other ways. They know I've got their back. Like they know I'm legit. But the first cohort, I had to prove myself to them. Well, Um, wait, wait. Were you proving yourself to them or to you? Both. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just like, let's just get real there for Yeah. No, well, definitely both. I think that's a piece of it. Whenever any of us are doing something new for the first time. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're in this kind of like, you know, I need proof. Yeah. Um, the, well, the imposter syndrome, of course, uh, like I said, it's always ebbing and flowing. So it doesn't just go away permanently, but it's, it's so loud in the beginning. So loud. Um, so yes, I was, I was having to prove myself to myself. And what's interesting is that <laughs> cohort number one, I make a statement that maybe is contrary to what they've heard elsewhere. And they will immediately question it and say, well, why do you feel that way? And um, I don't believe this, or I've been told all these other things. Who are you to think that this is the way it should be? Whatever. Now I'm at cohort four and I make a statement that's similar and they go, oh yeah. (laughs) Well, And by the time you get to cohort four, you make the statement, even if they wanted to question it, the folks from cohort one pipe up and say, you get back down. (laughs) (laughs) Sit. Queen Badass has spoken. <laughs> All rise. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so this first cohort was um, very interesting. Yes, I'm having to prove myself to myself. I'm having to prove myself to them. Uh, I'm having to work overtime to make sure that I'm giving them the results that I want to give them, whether that's creating extra handouts or worksheets or whatever the case is. Um, but Again, when you look at the end, whatever that is, there's a whole part that you can't plan for. So these relationships that I would form with these people, you know, we would hop on a quick Zoom call or we'd be on Facebook Messenger and I'd be helping guide them through this process that I myself am having to go through. And then after that, when that first cohort had completed the program and a few of the students were like, so what's next? (laughs) I'm like, I have no freaking clue. I haven't thought about another thing. Like this was my, this is my offering. This is all I've got. 
So a few of us decided to do a mastermind together. So we did a three-month mastermind. It was me and five of the original people from that cohort. And that mastermind was amazing for me. Um, it gave me permission to spend as much time working with them as I wanted to. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have 140 people that I was having to be like, okay, well, like I can't spend too much time with this person because then this person might get hurt or I can't, it was like no holds barred for three months. The, the six of us together, I mean, I, I can't even really put into words the kind of relationships that were formed from about, that experience. How about, can you put into words the kind of growth that happened? From, for, for myself? You, for you, for them, for whomever, for everyone? Oh. <sighs> I'm not even sure I can. I mean, it was just, and, it, and it, it was something that happened gradually. So we maybe as a cohort of the six of us learning together, because they all knew this was my first mastermind group. So it's not that they uh, thought that I had done this with a bunch of other groups before. We're like we were all in this thing together for the first time, trying this thing, working together going through the, the bumps that come with working, you know, six people who are very different, um, doing these zoom calls, you know, and when you're, when you do a mastermind, the first couple of contacts that you have as a group can be a little awkward because we don't truly know each other that well. Like, yeah, we just went through this, um, 60 day course together and learned a little bit about each other, but we got deep, man. <laughs> Uh, we were talking about all kinds of ways in which our family of origins have impacted our business. And we've had, we had to take a lot of risks sharing these things. Um, but yeah, the student I was referring to earlier, how our, our relationship shifts, she was in that. So she did the course with me. Then we did the mastermind together. So it was so impactful for me that when the mastermind was over and I had already done a second and then a third cohort, of the, of the course, I didn't even offer a mastermind afterwards. <laughs> I was like, these are my masterminds. I don't, I don't, I felt like I would be abandoning them or something weird like that. If I had done it again, it's like, I haven't even offered another mastermind since that first one. We still have the Facebook group with the six of us and we're planning a retreat together in the spring of 2018. Oh, that's beautiful. So yeah, I, I'm sorry. I wish that I could put into words what kind of growth I've experienced, but I think maybe just confidence that and has been. I'm also hearing that there's been a lot of cohesion, like that within this group, there's been just a real solid understanding of who each of you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like when, when something really challenging or, um, you know, a few of us have experienced some pretty significant loss this year in our personal lives, that's the first place we post. Like we go into the Facebook group and we're like, oh my God, guys, I'm dealing with this. Um, I'm getting the support from each other. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's impactful. Very much. Yeah. And I think that that's something that is so needed, you know, because our, our, in our field as therapists, we sit and we hold other people all day and then we come mm -hmm. home into our lives and Often as mothers, as partners, mm -hmm. we are doing a lot of holding there too within our communities and we need to find safe places where we can be held. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think in the online space, there's at times there's a dichotomy of people, some of who think when it comes to things like coaching, consulting, 
um, masterminds, courses, like any, any sort of paid service, there's a dichotomy of people who think either, you know, you can get all that same stuff for free. Why would you pay for it? And then there's a dichotomy of people who understand that it goes so much deeper than like shelling out a few hundred or even a few thousand dollars for something. Like they know that it goes so much deeper than just information. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, we all get out of things, what we put into them. And so, yeah, this podcast is free. Everybody can listen to it and they can get a lot of information. They can learn from both of us right now. Mm-hmm. And then we both have other offerings and they can choose to take a part of that. And if they do, they're going to get another experience that's not the same as listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot more intimate. And not only that, but we, you and I will experience growth that we don't even know yet. Yes. I, I, that in. happens to me every time I do something new. Whenever I, like I just led a retreat this past August for a group of therapists and that impacted me on a level that I could never have even dreamed of. It was amazing. Something else strikes me right now. Hmm. You and I are both couples therapists. We are. We both work from a relational place. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, we both work from that relational place. We both understand that relational place. And I think it's how we both show up as consultants as well. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always thinking about not only my relationship with the person I'm, I'm coaching, but I'm also thinking like when I'm doing my course, for example, like their relationships with one another. Mm -hmm. I even assign everyone, we call them badass buddies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that it's vital when you go through something like this, when you do any sort of thing online where it, it does connect us. I think you use the word. It's like we're overconnected sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it can connect us. You know, a lot of course offerings come with Facebook groups and it's like, yeah, that's great and all, but sometimes it's like a clusterfuck of nonsense. There's like so much stuff happening in these Facebook groups that it can feel almost like this overconnection, but um, it can also feel isolating because you're sitting here listening and watching the module that I created by yourself bring it into some kind of connection where you're actually like picking up the phone and talking to somebody. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, how can I be different? How can I help them with that relational part so that they're not getting lost? You know, they buy this course and then they're going through it. And then if they don't do the module, no one's there to check in on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I created this badass buddy system and every single person is not going to have the same experience but there have been some relationships, some friendships that have formed from that again, that I could have never anticipated would be so, so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people like visiting each other. <laughs> there are people who have connected, who might live in the same city, who are now like get, getting lunch together. They're talking about having okay. meetups. I'm like, this is amazing <laughs> from a relational standpoint, because it's no longer about me. I'm not the keeper yeah. of all knowledge. This is them sharing it with one another. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, before I launched this podcast, I bought um, Melvin Varhi's uh, Healthcasters course. And when I went on Terry Reel's relationship, relationship um, RLT training, when I went on Terry Reel's RLT training this past weekend, I got together with two other Healthcasters. So we just took a relationship that had been online and we brought it in, in person. And it was amazing to actually start spending time together in person 
Yeah. It totally shifts the dynamics of these friendships and these relationships. It takes them to a deeper level. Well, and when I go to this conference next weekend, I'm hoping that there are some, they don't even have to be students, but I'm hoping that anybody, well, and you know, by the time this podcast comes out, they would have, uh, it would have already passed, but anybody who I have had any connection with online, I want to meet them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be really fun. We're doing karaoke night. <laughs> that alone is worth it. a blast. Bring some popcorn. Laura's yeah. getting on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, this has been so much fun. You know, there, there's one other question I want to ask you before we end. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, of course. I'm just pins yeah. and needles now. Oh. Well, so, you know, you have developed so much. You have developed a course. You have run it through three going on four cohorts now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're getting ready to launch another beta program. Um, you have a therapy practice. You have a almost two-year-old daughter. How do you balance it all? Like, how do you give, still make sure to spend time with your family and do your self-care? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll start by saying that I don't always do it well. So let's just put that out there because any answer I give about this is how I balance, then there are going to be inherently people who listen and go, Oh, well, I'm not doing that. So therefore, you know, then bitchy Betty or bitchy Brenda, sorry, she pipes up and has her own, own way of putting it. Maybe there's a twin set, you know, bitchy Brenda and bitchy Betty. Um, so how do I balance it all? I think there was, there was a time where I said, it's not so much a balancing act. It's more of a magic act. Um, I do think that being very intentional is important. I think that uh, particularly for single mothers, I will never understand how they do that. Like that, that is its own beast. There have been times where I've said out loud, I, I, don't, I don't understand how they do it. And I, I am so in awe of, of not only single mothers, but single mothers who are in private practice because the amount of support and the amount of leaning that I do on my husband is astronomical. Like, I don't know how I do it without him taking on certain household tasks. Um, you know, we're talking about being boundary. Like, I, I haven't cooked a meal in, like, <laughs> weeks, maybe a month. Um, he does our grocery shopping. He does our meal planning. Um, I, do, I love cleaning, so I do that. But, it's, but we're very intentional with what it is that we're working on. So we will come together every single week and we'll talk about what's, what's working, what's not working, what do we need to adjust? Are you feeling burned out? Do I need to take on more things? Um, I recently just purchased another course that will help me scale um, your badass therapy practice. And not only was the course extremely expensive, but it's going to require a lot more of my time. And I remember when I first started my coaching business, I had to have a conversation with my, with my husband and I said, look, Joe, this is going to take a lot of my time, uh, but there's, there's an end point, And at that time, hopefully it will require less time. And that has yet to happen. <laughs> the end point. The end point where, yeah. you know, I won't have to spend as much time because of the whole passive income thing. And once I create this thing, then, you know, I can set it out into the universe and it sells itself all the time. That doesn't happen. That's not a real thing. But that's what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And so now we're here at this place and it doesn't require any less time. Right. And now I'm taking on a new endeavor. And so we've had to continually come back to the table and reevaluate how we're spending our time, how we're organizing tasks. 
uh, what needs to be outsourced, what things can we do, and then when we are doing the thing, whether it's going to the pumpkin patch, whether it's we're hanging out at the zoo, whatever we're doing as a family on the weekends, like that is our sacred time that doesn't get, that doesn't get scheduled um, in any other way. Yeah. So I, I won't do anything else on those days, but we have to be intentional about it because if we don't, I will just schedule something there. Like something will just get sucked in it's like a damn vacuum if we don't plan it out. So uh, I guess to answer your question in the most roundabout way possible, how do I balance it? I have a lot of help. Yeah. And I'm very lucky to have that help. Um, it's not something that I just like do on my own. So that would probably be my recommendation is to use the help that you have and don't be afraid to ask for it. Yeah. And if your help is not a partner or a spouse, there's other help. There is so much other help. I know, you know, I, I lean into my community a lot. And one of my best helpers is another family that um, we watch each other's kids. And sometimes I'll even pick up their kids at the end of the day, along with my kids and their 11 year old will watch my daughters while I'm getting a few things done in the office. You know, I'm still home. But mm -hmm. I'm getting a few things done and I'm, I'm present, but the 11-year-old's making slime with my daughters. And that's, <laughs> that's one of the biggest helps that I've found that doesn't cost any money. Yeah. As moms, we sometimes have a tendency to just take on too much because we feel like we're the only ones who do it the right way. Mm -hmm. um, or we will take on this poor me approach and say, well, isn't it nice to have help? It's like, no, you have help. You're just not using it or you're not finding it because there are so many people in your community who can help you. I think one of the hardest things for a lot of us is to be able to receive the help. Therapists mm -hmm. by nature, we are givers. We, we mm -hmm. are helpers, but to be able to open ourselves up and to be able to receive that help, it's not always so easy, even if it's from our partners. Yeah, we think it's being weak maybe. Mm -hmm. If I can't do it all myself, then I'm weak because look at all these other people who are doing it themselves, right? There's the comparison trap. Uh, but you don't know. Those other people could have tons of help. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you, you're, you don't know. That's bitchy Brenda like piping up and saying stuff that she just is like spouting off that isn't even true. But yeah, accepting help can be, and I'm not saying that I'm great at accepting help, but becoming a mother has really humbled me. I think the entrepreneurial journey also humbles us, right? Like it's also another place where it breaks us open and also like motherhood, mm -hmm. like partnership, it opens us up and says it's time to receive more. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that's how I do it. I have a lot of help. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been a really great conversation. And I actually am glad that there wasn't an agenda to it. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really appreciate having you on. So our listeners can find you at yourbadasstherapypractice.com, right? Yep, yourbadasstherapypractice.com. And then um, on Facebook, it's just facebook.com slash yourbadasstherapypractice. Awesome. And all of your offerings, your current offerings will be listed there for them as well. Is that right? Yes, yes ma'am. As they say in the South. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Yes. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I think our listeners will too. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Earlier this week, Laura and I got together on a Facebook Live and I'll include a link to that in the show notes here as well. We talked a lot about 
so many of the topics that we talk about on this podcast, but we went a little deeper. We also talked about what we believe mentorship is to both of us and why it's so important. And we talked about some projects that we both have up our sleeves. For me, it's the Connectfulness Method Mentorship Program. And I want to make sure you all know about that because it is just, oh, it's, it's this thing that I've been brewing for a really long time. It's come out of so many different aspects of my work. It's come out of the work I've done with clinicians that I've um, held space for on retreats. It's come out of the individual consulting work that we've done. And it's come out of so many of these conversations that you've been listening to here on the Practice of Being Seen podcast. So this is a 22-week mentorship program that culminates in a two-night in-person retreat at Menla Mountain House in Phoenicia, New York. Menla is an amazing resort center. You might have heard me talk about it on previous podcasts. It's where we held the revision retreat this past August, and oh, we just got such amazing feedback, and it was really a magical experience. Your accommodations and meals, all of that type of stuff is totally covered in the cost of the mentorship program, and we are going to be diving really deeply into the obstacles and roadblocks that hold you back. We're going to be helping you learn how to see those patterns and hold yourself accountable, and most importantly, we're building a community that can also support you in that process, a community that by the time this program ends, you're going to be meeting in person and having an amazing experience with. So I hope that you'll join us. The early bird special is only available for a few more days. So I hope you'll take advantage of it. And if you want to, I'm happy to talk to you about the program some more. So just shoot me an email or contact me over at practiceofbeingseen.com and we'll take care of the rest. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show on your favorite platform. And it especially helps us to spread the word about the show when you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the support of my amazing behind-the-scenes team, Nicole Stevenson and Christy Hausler. Couldn't do it without them. Music by Chris Ferris Jr. and Sr. and produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show. And will join us next week when I talk to Tiffany McLean for another episode of the Popscast, brought to you by Connectfulness. <laughs>